and I'm, I'm so delighted to be back from the warm 80 degrees weather of uh, Medellin, <laughs> um, Colombia. I bring you warm greetings from our sisters and brothers in, in Colombia. Um, amazing place. I, I had this uh, um, community meal with, with the people of, of Colombia, and it's called... Um, Sancocho. I don't know if you've had it before. Sancocho is, is kind of a, it's a broth, it's a soup, and everyone comes and adds their stuff to it. So you would go, you would put um, the soup in your bowl, and people will add pork and chicken and uh, cassava and potatoes and vegetables. By the time you're done, your bowl is full of stuff. But it's community meal, because everyone has made something, and uh, it's so great. And I said, my goodness, we've got to learn from the people of Colombia and Venezuela. Is it there in Mexico, too? Sancocho? Yeah? <laughs> Sorry? In Puerto Rico, Sancocho? It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a community... Com That is so great. It's so great. And it makes for a community experience. And so we should do that sometime, you know. Can you, um, can you organize that? Let's do a Sancocho. Yeah. Thank you. Let's do that. It's done now. <laughs> well, well, that's the way to do it in Colombia. Um, it's fascinating, so fascinating. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, the, the people who booked our flights uh, booked, it, booked it on this airline called Spirit Airlines. I don't know if you ever flown. Have you flown Spirit? Um, so I was a little worried, you know. I said, the Spirit is carrying us to Medellin, and uh, I was worried for the students. But it was really good. It was really good. All that uh, happened was... Um, um, if you want to buy some water, they don't give you water. You have to buy it. So for three dollars, everything you have to buy, including if you have not um, done your, um, um, you know, your tickets. Um, I found it fascinating. If you don't do it, then it's sixty-four dollars. But if you do it and you go there, they still give you the fresh ticket, but they don't charge you sixty-four dollars then. I have no idea why do they do that. Um, Kira, you've got to work on that one. Okay, we'll change things at Spirit Airlines. Um, it was so fascinating to be with our sisters and brothers. And then as soon as I came back, I, um, North Park flew me to Louisville, Kentucky uh, to watch the Louisville game. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was on the same day. It was... Um, um, uh, developing the vocation, how to enable undergraduates to understand what is their vocation in life. So, so appropriate with what uh, uh, Scott was sharing with us and what Richard will be sharing with you. What, what, what are you here for? You know, is it just to work? Is it just to be trained in accounting or in... Um, in um, some form of business, uh, 
uh, what is, or, or is it, uh, does your life have a meaning and purpose? Um, I often have students come into my office, um, and, and th- you know, uh, interestingly, the, most of them are students from Asia or South Asia who come into my office so disturbed. I was having dinner with my parents yesterday, and, and they again reinforced on me the the absolute necessity for me to become a medical doctor. Why? Because grandpa said so before he died. So you've got to become a medical doctor. And, you know, I have to walk my students through the meaning of vocation in life. What what does God want you to do uh, in life? And so that's what this um, conference was all about. And I came back yesterday. So... I don't know at this point where I am um, um, geographically. So if I mix up metaphors, do forgive me for that. Um, I'm I'm diving back into the whole People of God series along with our our children, along with the life groups perhaps, um, uh, as we go into this series where we remember the meaning on and purpose of 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 Jesus our Lord what was his meaning in life and um, in many senses it was something that became his what I consider to be his bar mitzvah text which is found in Luke chapter 4 where you know people would say Jesus went into the synagogue and and he opened the book and, and he found the passage. It was almost like Jesus was given the scroll and he just opened it up quickly. And there it was. It was um, um, Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, and I think people misunderstand the Bible so many times because you're not looking at the verbs. You're not looking at um, uh, the formation of the context and so on. That was Jesus' bar mitzvah text. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has ordained me to preach good news to the poor. And if you look into the Dead Sea Scrolls, that text was read during the time of Passover. So, logically, Jesus was born during the time of Passover in the Jewish month, which was a lunar month, Uh, And that was the purpose of Jesus' life. He knew that he had come to preach the good news to the poor and to die for the people who have been so unjustly treated and mistreated in life. Um, And each person should have a, a mission text it seems to me, if Jesus had a mission text, we need to have a mission text, and that becomes the vocation of our life. Um, that's what I got from this conference. And Jesus encountered that over and over again, and that's the nature of our text today. So if, we would, if you would kindly arise with me, and, and let's read this text, because Jesus encountered this as he is, um, as he is um, walking around with people. And many times remembrances of our texts come to us by questions that people ask. You know, students coming into my office, 
kids asking you questions at the dining room table. So Jesus is walking around and people ask him a question. And Jesus had to be ready to respond to their question. So would you read this? Let's read this together. Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 9, and it's from the New International Version. I think it's 2011 because New International Version also changes. Um, it's updated from time to time together. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, would we return back to that slide there? Because English is a poor language, right? You need to go to the south to say it's not you as singular you, but y'all. Can you say that? Y'all, like a good southern person. Okay, so um, all those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless y'all repent, y'all too will also perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to you for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, I leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Our Lord, our God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the clarity of your word. We want to thank you for um, the opportunity to, to seek and, and to learn from your word and from the life of our Lord, our God, Jesus. Lord, help us to, to know what it is to live our vocation in life as we go along this journey of life. So bless us with your presence. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to our minds that we may know you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Do be seated, do be seated. Um, many times I, um, I think that um, it's good for us to be um, going through either a book study or going through a, a, a set of, um, of the lectionary uh, because uh, one of the things that happens uh, in this is that you have to deal with tough passages in the Bible, right? You, um, I, and that's one of the reasons why I don't like topical sermons because then you choose your pet topics and you just focus on your pet topics and everyone's happy and, you know, oh, that was such a nice sermon and, and I feel so good about it. I'm such a good Christian. But then there's passages in the Bible like this where you have to deal with tough subjects. And, and so I'm thankful for 
for uh, opportunities to, um, to engage with these. Um, as I took students to, um, to Colombia, Medellin, we did have to encounter very tough subjects. Um, you know, other students who come from Sweden, they go to Florida and all those places. I have no idea. What do they do there on beaches? Just get brown and black, and then they come back and say, look how brown I am. And then, you know, that's all you experienced. Whereas there are students that go to Medellin and to Oaxaca, where we encounter real-life issues and, and meet real-life people. And I want to kind of take you on a journey, and I want to try, try and see if I can bring these two together. The, the, the journey uh, that Jesus encountered here and our journey through Medellin. So here are some of uh, the pictures. Uh, let's see how these come out. This is the first time I'm seeing. Oh, this is a group of students. You saw them. You know, they came here and and they served you with smiley faces, and you were so kind to send them uh, and give them so generously to go, and they encountered. We were in the Garden of Eden. Guess who we met there? That is Adam and Eve. Did you know that? That is Adam and Eve. And the question, of course, is why are Adam and Eve so blown up? Um, there is a famous sculptor by the name of Botero. Um, and if you get an opportunity to go to Medellin, I would encourage you to go uh, because his, um, his sculptor work and his artwork is all blown up pictures. You probably have seen that in, you know, in the history of art. Uh, and, and why is it blown up? Because he is trying to describe the opulence of a certain group of people who took advantage of others in society. And so in his mind, Adam and Eve were also all blown up. So that's Adam and Eve, and there's us standing, standing there in the Garden of Eden. But there's also this whole idea of uh, groups of people that came and blew up the society. And so you can see that this is what, what happened in the 1980s and the 1990s in Medellin. It's very different now, but uh, all that was happening in Medellin in the 1980s and 90s and before that was blowing up. And, and of course, in Botero's mind, it wasn't just 1980s and 1990s where cars were being blown up and people were being destroyed in Medellin and actually in the neighborhood where we were. Uh, but, but it happened right at the beginning where, where there were people who were living there. They were called Indians. And of course, Colombia is named after Columbus who came looking for India, right? And so everywhere he found Indians and then the Spaniards who came along with them. They said, oh, we found Indians. Let's kill them. So they destroyed all the Indians. There are no Indians in Colombia except for very remote areas. You need to go to Barranquilla and some of those places where some, you know, little few Indians are left. But, but they destroyed, they destroyed. And then, and then of course, they, 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 they forced the others to become Roman Catholic and, and people became Roman Catholic and then and the priests came and they established governments. So there is right-wing governments. But then there were priests who were left-wing people who fought against those people and they brought in Marxist ideas of overthrowing the, the government. 
So there were left-wing Marxist priests, and then there were left-wing Marxist lords who wanted to rule. And then, of course, there were people who said, Marxist ideas are not so great. Let's come up with Chinese Maoist ideas. So there were a group of people who formed Maoist ideas. And then there were people that said, no, no, Maoist ideas aren't good. They're only meant for China. Let's come up with, with Cuban ideas. So they came up with Cuban ideas, and they formed groups there. And, and then they said, no, no, this, this is not going to work. Let's get some money from Russia, and we are going to come up with Russian communist ideas. So there were a group of people who formed Russian communist groups. And then there were other people who said, oh, no, you know, there's all these drugs that are there, let's dump it on the United States because those are druggies. People in the United States all over, they like to have drugs. So let's send drugs to the United States. So there were drug lords who came up and they were fighting with each other to establish control. How did they do that? By taking advantage of poor people. And they destroyed like this. So Medellin was destroyed. This is an artwork there. How did they do that? It was all over. They found, formed gangs. And, and of course, there were poor people that took advantage of. These were displaced people who were forced to leave their little towns and their villages and their farmlands were taken away from them. So those were the people who they took advantage of. What kind of people? Well, these are, of course, um, you know, th this is one of, the, one of the gangs. It's interesting, it says Cain and Abel. Do you see that? These are brothers who are fighting against each other. Why? Because there are lords who are trying to take advantage of their own ideology, using their ideology to take advantage of people. So it's Cain and Abel. Uh, what did they, who did they use? They used little kids. Little kids who are nine years old, ten years old, twelve years old. And, and, and um, the reason they did that is because kids have not developed their moral fiber. So they would go into villages and the, with the AK-47, they'll just destroy the whole village without even thinking about it. So little kids were used and abused. Um, and as we go on further into the next slide, we met this guy. So this is some of my students. We, his name is Alex. And Alex told us this story. He was 12 years old. When the gangs came and, and sought to take him to become their kid soldier, um, and, and as these gangs came, he, 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 he fought it because his father protected him. But he went in, then he fought it. And, and so he had this time of not knowing who he was till in, when he was 17 years old, there was a preacher in his village who, who introduced him to Jesus. And he became a Christian. Right when he became, became a Christian... He was captured by the paramilitary forces. Who are the paramilitary forces? The paramilitary forces were forces who were um, supported by the government military forces, but they didn't want to do the dirty work. So the dirty work was done by the paramilitary who captured Alex. 
And they put them up against the wall and just went killing them. There was this bullet that went right through his eye and through, thankfully didn't go into his brain, went through the back here, shattered his jaw. He had just become a Christian. And guess what he's doing? Blood all over. He's saying, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And this guy goes, another bullet. And then he says, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. That's what 17-year-old kids do, right? Another guy who was still alive next to him, who had also become a Christian, said to him, Alex, shut up, Alex, shut up. So he finally shut up. And they left him for dead. So he survived. And one thing led to the next. He underwent so many surgeries. One 17-hour surgery he talked about. And today he can't see with both of his eyes. But he went to seminary. And that's where he met my friend Julio, who used to read to him books of theology. And then he went into the prison system. And he began witnessing to the paramilitaries who were in the prison, to the drug lords who were in the prison, to the Marxists, to the Maoists, to the, to the Russian uh, um, lords, and, and to, to all these people who, who were in prison. And, and, and he, he began seeing people come to know Jesus. It's so fascinating. They were hugging each other. And they went out when they were released from prison. He says, I can tell you hundreds of stories of people who are now in pastoral ministry all over Colombia. Because of this one man who survived. And he's becoming a lawyer now. His quest for knowledge doesn't, you know, he wants to make it possible for these guys who have come to know the Lord in the, in the prison system in Medellin and all over Colombia to go and become the conveyors of the peace message and reconciliation message of Jesus. So fascinating to talk to him. And then, I don't know, what else is... Oh, these, this is a couple who was influenced by, uh, by Alex's life. Um, quite an amazing couple who were also escaping because, you know, they were sick of what was going on in Medellin, so they both got on a motorcycle until they met Alex. And he changed their life. Quite an amazing couple this couple is. Uh, you should see them on their motorcycle and their helmets and all that. They still go into far-flung areas and, and talk about the message of reconciliation. So there's so many, so many stories that, that we gathered. So what does that have to do with our text today? I think I find it fascinating, so fascinating, that when Jesus is going about, there's a group of people that come to him and talk to him about the violence that happens to the Galileans. Who are the Galileans? Well, the Galileans are displaced people. They were from all over. Why was Joseph in Galilee 
in Nazareth because he was a displaced person. There was violence in Bethlehem and Jerusalem that caused him to move far away, 90 miles away into Galilee. Who are the Galileans? The Galileans were regarded as unschooled people. These are people you don't want to associate with because they don't know anything. So in Acts chapter 2, when, when, when the Spirit of God descends and, and all these Galileans are speaking in all these fascinating languages, everyone says, who are these Galileans speaking in languages? I mean, they had no opportunity to go to Northwestern University or to the University of Chicago or North Park University, and, but they're speaking perfect languages with perfect diction. And they're able to joke all. So, you know, that's one of the last things that comes to you when you're learning a new language. If you learn a new language and people are speaking there, they've got jokes there. And I didn't get most of the jokes in in, uh, Colombia because by the time the person translated it, there was nothing to laugh about. (laughs) Have you experienced that? (laughs) The joke's gone (laughs) when you have translated it. So these people are speaking perfect language, but these are Galileans. And Pilate comes, and there is historical details that people like Josephus and other historians have recorded as to how cruel Pilate was. He didn't massacre the people of Jerusalem. Why? Because they had power. They were the Sadducees. They were the Pharisees. He didn't dare do anything to the Zealots because they will come up against him with equal amount of arms. But he takes the Galileans who have come from 90 miles away. They've walked for 90 miles to the treacherous journey that took them from all those hills and valleys and encountering zealots on the way because zealots at that time would go and they would take anybody and beat them up and take away their money. Whoever knows how many zealots they encountered, they're called robbers in the New Testament, but they had political ideologies. Who, and finally they arrived in, in, in Jerusalem, and, and there were, of course, the publicans there, not the republicans. These are the publicans who would take taxes from you. They'd say, oh, you're coming to Jerusalem. Welcome to Jerusalem. How much money do you have? Come on, give me half the money now. So they're left with very little money. And then, of course, there are the tax collectors of the Sadducees who would say, welcome to the temple. You want the right kind of sacrifice? This much it will be. They had to pay whatever the Sadducees would ask them to pay. Is this familiar? And finally they go there. And Pilate says, hmm, Galileans, I can kill them. And not only does he kill them, And this is horrible, but it's there in the Bible. He takes their blood, mixes it with the blood of the lamb that they have just bought, expensive lamb, because he wanted to desecrate their sacrifice. That's what I saw in Medellin. 
happened in the 1980s, the 1970s. And these people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you have to say about that? And then they say, all right, what about this group of people? There's this pool. It's called Siloam. Do you remember we talked about that? It's the place where the blind person was. And there were all these uh, people with diseases, the, 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 the paralytic, the, the, the blind people, the people who, who, were, who are nothing to society. They were all sitting around this pool Right around this pool, these very poor people who had all kinds of handicaps, visual, mental, emotional handicaps, homeless people, if you will, are sitting around there, and this tower comes <laughs> crashing down on them. What about them? Isn't that interesting that it was a tower? Because people bring, build towers. Kings used to build towers to establish their names. These were sacred towers. It was built with the worst kind of material around the places where the poorest people would be so that when it falls on them, you would say, ah, those people needed to be destroyed anyway, right? That's what Hitler said. Those people needed to be destroyed anyway. It falls on them. You know, often I take students to India because India is the place to go to. <laughs> I take them to this place called Taj Mahal because that's the place to go to. Well, one afternoon we go there. The rest of the time we go to real places. And you look at this structure called the Taj Mahal where everyone wants to go. I never went to Taj Mahal till someone came from England and lived three hours from Taj Mahal and they said, take me to Taj Mahal. I said, I've never been there myself. Sure. So, so I take students there and I say to them, you see this structure? The whole world wants to come here. But do you know something? When this structure was built, the king, whose name is Shah Jahan, built it in honor of his wife, whose name is Mamtaj Mahal. He wanted to build a mausoleum for her. When this was built, he took all the people who built it, and he lined them up, and he said, cut off their hands, because I don't want this to be replicated ever again. I said, do you still want to see this? That's what people do. And the star fell on them. And of course, the question that people are asking Jesus is, well, aren't they sinners? They needed, you know, why did they die? Why did the palate do this? They must have been horrible, horrible sinners. Because that's how people think about people who are going through bad times. And even now, people think about those people who are going through bad times in those kinds of answers in Medellin, in India, in Africa, and even here. And Jesus says to them, human evil is there. Human evil is there. But I want to tell you something. Suffering is because of human evil. But I've come here 
to take upon this whole suffering on myself. That is the mission of Jesus' life. In Isaiah chapter 53, it's so powerful there because it talks about how he was despised, he was rejected by human beings, a man of sorrows who takes upon the grief of the people upon himself because that is the, the, the only way in which one can understand the meaning and the nature of evil. Not to come up with just some, you know, philosophical reasoning behind, behind suffering, but to take on the suffering upon yourself. That is Jesus' answer to human suffering. And we talked about some of that. And then he says something that kind of shocks them. He says, but you all need to repent. You all need to. And they say, what else? We didn't do that. Pilate did that. We didn't do that. Those Sadducees did that. Those despicable people did that. Don't blame us. And Jesus says, no, y'all need to repent. Y'all need to repent because in many senses, if we look, if we just scratch the surface of our hearts, there is a Hitler in all of us. There is a Pilate in all of us. There is a Pablo Escobar in all of us. Y'all need to repent. There needs to be a, a complete transformation. And one of the things I like about the, the prayers that are said during Yom Kippur is, is the prayers that we have all done this. Lord, please forgive us. I am not separate from those drug lords in Colombia or on the south side of Chicago. I am a part of them. And that's why Jesus says, you know, you, you, you think that you have not committed murder, so you're fine. But, but the moment you see that little inkling of hatred or anger against someone else, you have already committed the act of murder. You may say that I have not committed adultery, but the moment you have just that inkling of thought, you are as much as that human trafficker. So don't let us think that I come to church, I sing those nice songs, I have my quiet times, that I'm any different from others in the world. Unless y'all repent, you all will do the same thing that Pilate did, that Herod did, that Hitler did. That is Jesus' answer to the problems of human violence. That we all need to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for that little thought because I am the same as these people. When you do that, he says you'll be like the fig tree. Like the fig tree that bears fruit. That fig tree, like in Psalm 1, where 
where it says that it, it surrounds this tree that everyone wants to come and eat from the fig fruit and, and enjoy the fig fruit. Or, 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 the, or, or the, 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 the fruit of the vine. Be grafted onto this vine and you will produce fruit. So there is one aspect which says repentance, 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 repent. Y'all repent. But then you go on further and you become the fig fruit. Then the fig tree where people want to come and enjoy. In, 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 in ancient um, 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 Jewish texts between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the fig fruit is the Bible. Do you remember the time when, when Jesus was uh, going around? There was this guy called by the name of Nathaniel, and, and Jesus says to him, you are just this beautiful seeker, like Isaiah chapter 55. And, and, and Nathaniel says, well, how, how do you know who I am? How do you know who I am? And Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. What was he doing? He was meditating on this fig tree, which is the Bible. In Jewish texts, it's called Eschaim, the tree of life. And so how do you become a person that bears fruit? It's by consuming the fig fruit. Consuming it not just in the morning for five minutes or ten minutes or half an hour, but, but, but let that be something that you get up with, you rise up in the morning, it becomes a part of your life and you're meditating on it and meditating on it and seeing how you can bear fruit in your everyday action of life. Every second that I teach in the classroom or spend time with students, every time I'm working on some project, I have, I'm, I'm just consuming that fig and consuming the word of God and, and that's how you bear fruit. We just pay lip service to God and say, Lord, I have my, I've had my quiet time and, and that's it. Aren't you happy? I spend five minutes in prayer. You've got to be happy, Lord. But that's not what it's all about. It's by being consumed by the fig tree, by the grapevine. And that's what happens when we partake of, of the Lord's Supper. It is not just a ritual. You know, I wish we would do this every day. We pay lip service to it and do this once a month. I wish this would be a part of our life where we partake of the body of Christ. which was broken for us. And as we partake on it, of it, we say, Lord, you suffered for our sins. I want to be a suffering person. Maybe in Medellin. Maybe in Chicago. Maybe in Mandelein. But as I partake of this, your body, I want to be grafted into the vine that I may do the same and be the same. And as I partake of this cup, which is the cup of suffering, 
and it's intentionally red, the fruit of the vine, it transforms the same things that were used by bad people in the world. You remember? Fig fruit and the juice from the figs and from the vine was used to do bad things and it still is in the world. Jesus transforms that and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And as we partake of this, we say, Lord, I want to partake of the vine that I may be Jesus to the community around me. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, as, as we partake of this, your body, that was broken for our sins. And as we partake of this, the cup of suffering, we pray, Lord, that you would enable us right in the context of our world that is, that's so full of violence, that's so, so full of um, all kinds of systemic evil and sin. Lord, help us to take on the cup of suffering, that we may bring about healing. We repent, O oh Lord, we repent of our sins. And we come before you and plead for our forgiveness. Forgive us, O oh Lord. Forgive us for being so many times like that Pharisee who thought he was better than the others. All we come in repentance, O oh Lord, forgive us. And then as we partake of your body and your blood, O oh Lord, we pray that you'd enable us to be fruitful, fruitful people who are Jesus to a hurting world. Bless us with your presence. In the name of Jesus, the bread from heaven, the cup of the new covenant, in his name we pray. Amen.